Welcome to the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast. I'm Kevin C. Nice. And I'm David Atwell, sitting in for Tim Van Orden. And I'm Natalie Atwell, and you're listening to episode 27, Women's Future History. We'll start off with some Star Trek news. And then we'll get into an audience question right after our main story, Women's Future History. We're going to be starting a month-long conversation about women's representation in Star Trek here with our good friend Natalie Atwell. We hope you enjoy it. Stick around. Well, this is a milestone. This is a landmark. Uh, we now have three people on this show for the very first time. Uh, welcome, David. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. How y'all doing? <laughs> We're doing well. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a lovely day. The days are starting to get longer. Everything's starting to feel a little bit more Star Trekky outside. I don't know. Just where where the future is bright, the sun is bright, the... I don't know. That's probably a lame metaphor, but I'm sticking by it. <laughs> that's all right. That's cool. You know, I, I, you go for the metaphor, even if it's even if it doesn't work quite right. That's fine. Um, so, hey, uh, Natalie, um, this is the first time our our listeners are getting to hear you. So, tell them about yourself, please. So, if you didn't guess, I'm David's wife. What? <laughs> I can't believe it. That's why I'm on with him. Ah. <laughs> uh. To supervise. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we, let's see, we live in Indiana with three adorable little children. Um, yeah. let's, my husband is the one who introduced me to Star Trek. I grew up watching it a little bit, but uh, once we got married, you know, those early newlywed days, it's like, what are we going to do? My husband said, we're going to watch Star Trek. And we did like all of it, every <laughs> little bit. So we've been married for 10 years now, and I have seen, I think, like, what, 90% of all Star Sounds Trek right. things. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what do you, what are you lacking in, in your Star Trek experience? Well, let's see. He skipped around some of the original series for me, and he skipped around season one of Voyager, because he said it wasn't <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I, I just didn't want that to be your, your introduction to the whole thing. So Yeah, and I think, I don't think I've seen all the movies like i only have yeah. seen all the old ones i've seen mm. the space whale and like space whale. <laughs> <laughs> you're really you're really bolstering your star trek credentials by saying space whale <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's not talking about the gormigander though she she has seen right the gormigander oh the gormigander is so beautiful i love the gormigander Oh man, that was that was brilliant. But yeah, we we uh we did watch it, you know, during the newlywed days and we still like it's a regular thing now that anytime there's a new episode of Star Trek, we we watch it together first. So we've been watching through, you know, all three seasons of Discovery so far and Picard and Lower Decks and mm -hmm. it's been sort of our our regular Thursday night, you know, date, I guess. We put the kids to bed and we watch Star Trek. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, um, Natalie's here because, you know, uh, we have quoted you a few times on the show and, you know, we, I've, I've, I've kind of extended the offer that you could come on the show and, uh, it's never happened yet, but somehow this, uh, this women's history month thing, uh, got you in. So I'm really glad you're here. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we talked about, we were kicking around ideas in February. Of course, February was wrecked uh, <laughs> by everything that happened down here in Texas. But we were kicking around ideas about maybe doing, you know, a Black History Month focus, which we sort of did, but not to the extent we might have otherwise. And part of the reason was we were like, yeah, we're like three white guys, you know, talking about black issues. And we're not sure we really have much of a voice for that. And so um, it's really good to... Uh, to bring because we we are um there there are cool things coming ladies and gentlemen um there's some guests coming in and uh we're, we're this this whole uh women's history month theme has just sort of been falling together for us um and we're really excited about it but um but we're here today to talk about women's future history this is kind of our our idea for what this month looks like because this is women's history month and, you know, women have become increasingly important in Star Trek, um, especially in recent times. And, 
you know, as we're looking at Women's History Month now to sort of learn from our past, we're also looking at the future as projected by Star Trek and the history of that future going all the way back to, you know, 55 years ago. So it's interesting to talk about how the future of of humankind through the the woman's lens through the through the the the, the lens of woman's role in society women women's role in society has shifted in that time and what the future of uh what the future of women's history needs to look like what kind of history we can make now for women in the future so and how star trek can help us to do that all right so um I think it's time for some Star Trek news. Yeah. It is. At long last. Uh, go ahead. So uh, I think you have a, I think you have a piece for us, David. Go ahead. I do. And it is actually uh, fairly related to uh, future women's history. The currently untitled Voyager documentary, the crowdfunding campaign kicked off today. And as of the moment of recording uh, here, let me go ahead and uh, refresh this real quick. They are currently at 278% of their $150,000 goal. And uh, yeah, they're going to hit their final stretch goal probably before we're done recording tonight. Uh, it's just absolutely insane how much uh, this is done, I, I believe you mentioned, uh, by the same uh, production crew that did What We Left Behind, the Deep Space mm -hmm. Nine documentary. And yeah. For the Love of Spock and Chaos on the Bridge and the Captains, Get a Life. They, uh, they've... Um, just blown away their funding goal so uh we're gonna see a, a really stellar voyager documentary here pretty soon yeah i that's that's incredible because like i got the email i think this morning and i clicked yeah. on it and they were already at one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. you know and i was like i don't think this has been out that long you know but there's been mm -hmm. such anticipation and like you said these other documentaries have been done by the same group and so people know and you know, like yeah. getting into the void, the the just Deep Space Nine documentary. I know they went, you know, into all their stretch goals and everything, and they did really well. But this is just skyrocketing, and I, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of greater fan affection for Voyager or something, or because um, we've seen what this produces, you know, with the Deep Space Nine documentary, and I think maybe Voyager fans are maybe a little rabid, like you know, because I think Voyager gets a little bit. A little bit pushed aside it does and it's too bad it is it is i mean yeah you know i well, i will I mean, say go ahead, go ahead i was gonna say the voyager is sort of having a moment right now you know we've got um mm -hmm. garrett wong and uh robert duncan robert duncan mcneil are doing their uh deep delta flyers podcast where they're rewatching through the the whole series so yeah. uh there's that and there's, i think there's a, another a couple of other podcasts that are going through Voyager right well, now. Well, and the, uh, and the so autobiography. Got her statue. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's in the works. Yeah, or is or is it, is it done? I don't remember. It's we done. Did it. Yeah, it's, it's done. Jane Wigger. It, it's great. It's that's an awesome. Hour away from us. It's just an hour. Oh, away that's from awesome. Us. Yeah. So she's she's got her statue, and um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's. I feel like that's her autobiography. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we had a, we had a running yeah. we had a running gag like almost a gag but not exactly a gag on the show for a while where every week we had to have Janeway news because we did <laughs> like it was just genuinely yeah. Janeway news or, or Voyager news kept popping up every week so it's it's pretty cool I'm I'm excited about it I I hope that because Voyager yes Voyager contains some of the worst Star Trek I've ever seen. Definitely the number one worst episode of Star Trek ever made, um, for <laughs> sure. Um, but it also contains some of the best Star Trek you have ever seen. Uh, yeah. Some of my some of my my favorite episodes um, and great characters. And you know there are a lot of missed opportunities in the series, but you know it's still really great. Um, Mm -hmm. because it's star trek and there are good people making it even if it even if it meandered here and there it was it's still a, yeah it's a fantastic series so i'm excited about it that's cool so we'll see i they've, they've probably funded it three three more times by now now that we're done talking about it right um, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy um so the piece of star trek news i have is just sort of a general update honestly i mean the big kind of uh big ticket item i guess is that uh, the 
uh, Prodigy series has mm-hmm. now had its, uh, has debuted, you know, it's, it's bridge crew image and all that. And we've talked a little bit on the show about who's going to be on the series. Um, like Kate Mulgrew, um, like, uh, what, what we said last week, um, Gosh, name uh, the outrageous Okona. Okona, yeah, uh, Captain Okona uh, is going to be on there, and uh, so you know, there's some there's some really cool stuff about that. But in general, um, you know, Alex Kurtzman has talked about what's going to happen in in now that we're transitioning into Paramount Plus and everything, and um, there's there's a lot you know there's a lot of stuff coming and there are a lot of shows that they've talked about but you know they've now officially said that like the the five series that are being made right now are it right now and until one of those series ends they're not going to start another one and yeah. i think that's really good news <laughs> for for all of us who've been a little worried about um fatigue and he and he he addressed in this article he addressed that franchise fatigue idea um that he wants you know we're aiming to have our shows feel unique and different from each other we want to give everybody a reason to watch each show and so the idea is that you know if you if you you know you can watch the shows individually you don't have to watch everything and you can find what what you enjoy and uh and i think it's exciting yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I am trying to figure out what five they're talking about, though. Well, because it's... I'm I'm going through it in my head, and it's Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, uh, Section 31, Strange New Worlds, and Prodigy. That's six. Well, no, Section 31 is not one of those. Okay. Because, I... because uh, yeah, Prodigy's in production. All, of, all the other things are in production. Section 31 is not in production yet. And there's Even though been some... Michelle Yeoh went through the Guardian of Forever to her own series, during... right, right, right. I mean, they did leave that door open. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Uh, <laughs> they did leave that door open, but we honestly don't know what's going to happen with that series still. And I would say there's some doubt as to whether that series will happen or not, based on how people are talking. But Very I think I think there's still interest in doing something more with that character. I think the the Section 31 idea has been kind of unpopular among fans, and I think yeah. they may be rethinking that. They're, that's um, that's me reading into what I'm hearing, but that's it. But we do know that Star Trek Discovery Season 4 and Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2 are set to premiere this year, later in this year. So and we also know that Picard Season 2 is already filming. Right, right. And Prodigy will also appear this year. So we've got at least those three. I don't know if Picard will make it this year, and I don't know if Strange New Worlds will make it this year. Um, because yeah. they they aren't talking about a timeline for them. But I think we can right. expect Prodigy, Lower Decks, and Discovery 4 this year. So we shall see. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the the headline that I saw... Paramount Plus discussing multiple shows for next phase of Star Trek Universe, I feel like is the most obvious news that could be possible. <laughs> right. The franchise is probably the healthiest it's ever been. And yes. everybody's, you know, it, all of the shows that they're making are to a very high technical and creative standard. So I, yeah. I, I feel like it's fairly obvious that that would happen. <laughs> Despite yes. the naysayers and all of the, the YouTube you know, pontificates who are talking about how it's all doomed and Alex Kurtzman is three seconds away from being fired and right, right, there right. and everything. Despite all of that, I, I don't, I don't see any evidence that that's happening in this universe at all. No, I, uh, I don't either. I, I, I'm, and I'm looking forward to all of it. I think I'm excited yeah, about all absolutely. of it. I think it's really cool. So sure. it's a beautiful time to be a Trek fan. So it is. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, Natalie, tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, apart from your Trek fandom. Uh, who who are you? <laughs> apart from being from being David's wife. Yeah. So um, these days, I am mostly a stay at home mom to three super adorable kids, and That's thanks awesome. to the pandemic, I am now a homeschool mom, which Yay! is something I never thought I would be. Honestly, so yeah. it's a uh, been a fun journey i have to say it's gone better than i thought it would 
Good. I will Good. also say I'm glad to send my son to school next year. <laughs> um, so take from that what you will. Um, right. I also am a journalist, writer, when I'm not in the middle of a pandemic. Um, yeah. So. Well, where, where can people find your writings? Uh, so my ma- my home for the longest time is Indianapolis Monthly Magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. We're from Indy, so it is our local culture mag, and I have a heart, soft heart for it because I started there as an intern back in college days. Oh, I, I also write sometimes for By Faith, which is the uh, Presbyterian Church of America, uh, their denominational magazine. Cool. And that's it's mostly it these days. That's I, awesome. I'm mostly just the mom, but she uh, also ghostwrites a decent number of my articles. So, oh, does she now? I can neither do, confirm do really? nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> we collaborate. Spoken like, it's, a, I, spoken I, like a good ghostwriter. We, <laughs> we collaborate. That's good. That's. Good. I don't actually write it. I just say all these ideas, and he's like, "I'm going to write that an article." <laughs> yeah i get that when i talk to david i get that we're like you know oh yeah. but natalie said this and natalie said that and natalie, like when do we get to talk to that's, natalie <laughs> that's pretty accurate yep well, you're in luck that's awesome i'm here now you get to talk to me now okay so um where do we where do we want to go next if you just want to talk about women in trek like mm-hmm. on a general high level mm-hmm. i would say one thing i appreciate about star trek um, is that most of the time their women don't have to fight with the fact that they're a woman before you can get to their storylines. Mm. I think we see that. I mean, women experience that in everyday a lot, but you see that even in a lot of other movies, like that star women, you kind of have to go through a whole battle of justifying why they're there at all before you can right. actually get into their story. Right. And yeah, I feel like Star Trek has never done that. Um, couple episodes aside um <laughs> have you said well well I, w- I would say star trek probably from next gen forward maybe yeah, hasn't done that onward yeah yeah or, or at least deep space nine forward hasn't done that yeah yeah but we have had moments we have had very not good moments um, but i would say like on a broad stroke whole Mm-hmm. Star Trek lets women be characters in and of themselves. Right. So I think that is one place where they've succeeded and led the way for a lot longer than other cultural media. Right. Right. Yeah, I tend to agree. And what's fascinating, too, is that that we have to have that conversation, right? That this is a thing we even talk about. You, you We look in yeah. other media and... It's, it's astonishing to me. It's astonishing to me that we, that we can look, we can look back 55 years at the beginning of Star Trek. And I think we do see for that time, you know, very, um, forward thinking roles for women in a lot of respects. Um, but also not, you know, (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was nice to see, um, to see what was I going to say? No, 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 that's not where I'm going to go. Um, sometimes not, but it's amazing to look back on that and think like from your perspective, living as a woman in America, looking back at star Trek 55 years ago and the way women were, are portrayed, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you see a lot of progress, but how much of that do you see sort of that we that we haven't grown past the way we way we should in star trek or in or in culture in general <laughs> uh, i mean that's a big question uh i mean in star trek yeah you go back to the original series and you're like they put a woman on the bridge look at them they're doing great and then you realize they they made her the secretary and you're like, hang it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, so I, I confess, as a mo- I was a woman looking back, you're just like, you just want to shake your head and you're like, that's so frustrating and disappointing. 
-hmm. But at the same time, um, I do recognize that, like, I can only look back with annoyance at them because they did it, right? Because they put a woman on the bridge, albeit not perfectly, you know, it was a step of progress that was was very novel, very progressive for the time. It's just been part of the long story to get to me 50 years later as a woman, you know, that can be annoyed with that, you know, rather than right. having to be inspired because they just did it. So so I do want to say I appreciate what they did, even though yeah. it in many ways it wasn't enough. But I see Trek has obviously evolved. You know, we got uh, Janeway on the bridge fabulous captain and then you know i love what i love burnham now yes now that she's kind of let loose in this last season yes way better (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i see them exploring more and more depths um of their female characters i just had i just had an astonishing revelation about discovery right now you know in season three uh, Michael got her hair, right? I loved her hair. Isn't it gorgeous? So much. Like the first time I saw um, a preview with her hair, I was like, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. Yes, yes. It's great. But I just, you know, you were talking about her loosening up a little bit. And I started making connections in my mind. And it's like Riker. You know, <laughs> Riker starts out so like kind of rigid, right? And then he gradually loosens up. I mean, more and more of, of Jonathan Frakes gets into the character, basically. Mm-hmm. He gradually loosens up. But when it, when it happens is when he gets the beard. And it's like Michael's hair and is her version. The braids. Yes, the braids. That is her version of Riker's beard. It's true. <laughs> she had to work harder, though. The whole time travel, being stuck yes. alone for a year. Yes, she yep. did have to work harder to get it. Riker only had to deal with Pulaski. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, that's true. And I love Tilly. I think Tilly's a really great character as well. And I think she is a very different female character than we've ever seen in Trek before. How so? So she's got a lot more timidity, but like this quiet power to her that has to be brought out. You know, she's got a Mm -hmm. shyness to her. Um, I don't think you see a lot of shy characters like that. A lot of Gryffindors in Star Trek. She's a Hufflepuff. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's really beautiful the way that, like, you see her develop and find her voice and find her strength. And, you know, she's obviously physically not, she's not your original series woman. (laughs) Right, yeah. And so it's just great to see her given such a big role, not like something shoved off to the side Nothing mm-hmm. tokenism about her, but like fully developed. Yeah, it's really I interesting. There was a lot of. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I just remember there was a lot of discussion about her, sort of when she started being featured in a lot of Discovery episodes, where they were talking about her as being on the spectrum and as being someone with you know sort of a neurodivergent uh, mm-hmm. personality, and and uh, I, I, I'm I'm intrigued that they would. Um, that they would feature her so much being a neuroatypical person or, or being at least coded as a neuroatypical person. And I, I'm, I, I, I agree. I think that she's a, a stellar character. Well, Mary Wiseman talked about that some, and uh, you know, the character was not conceived or written or played that way, but um, it was, she was, she was received that way by some people who, who saw identification, who, who had identification with her, you know, much the same way. I think a lot of neurodivergent people um, associate with Spock, you know, yeah. or data or, you know, several, several other characters. And so Tilly wasn't really conceived that way, but she's, she's been interpreted that way. And I think Mary has been really welcoming of that and really excited about that and really honored that people, see that reflected. And so she's saying, you know, so she's conscious of that in her performance now. And it's interesting on that note, Natalie, that you mentioned her timidity, because I think we see timidity in women, um, in, in, in Star Trek previously, I keep going back to the original series. I think because that's one of the things that irritates me most about the original series. Um, of course <laughs> you have, you have some really, really 
positive portrayals of women in there, but there are some there are some that are just very very grating to me, and we can get into those if we want to. But um, if we see timidity in a woman, usually it's the the best word I can describe it with is demure, right? It's mm. it's very much with this sense of that this kind of timidity, that this is womanly or feminine in some way. Like and, where Rand or Uhura were just on the planet to clutch Kirk and say, I'm scared or whatever. A little bit, or even more, I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of McGivers in Space Seed, where mm -hmm. she's just so wrapped up in this um, idea of this powerful man. You know that she's almost um, she's she's almost obsessed with the idea of, of of strongman leaders, that she just she becomes so enthralled with Khan, or um, uh, like the lieutenant who becomes so enthralled with Apollo in uh, in Who Mourns for Adonais, um, that there is this there's this quietness this shyness to women that that is not what we see with Tilly. And I think what we see with Tilly is yes, a timidity, but it's, it's less, um, it's less surrendered than that. It's more that she's got a lot in her to give and she's not sure of herself in putting it out there. Right. That. Yeah. It it's insecurity. Right. Yeah. Um, which everybody feels. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of women obviously feel that. And I think, you know, you have a lot of um, a lot of history of, of women just being assumed to not have anything to give. And like, so it's this cycle of creating timidity where you've been knocked down. And you're like, well, I must not have anything to offer. And so that is where I think Tilly is a, a really beautiful character to see her work pa past that and to see the other characters around her support her. I mean, I think that is a really good evidence of quite um, a growth in Star Trek's portrayal of women. Because, yes, that um, that demureness you're talking about from the original series of, like, where a woman is just awed by a man. And so, like, she just melts away. Like, there is nothing to her. You know, mm -hmm. that is different than putting yourself, trying to melt yourself into a wall because you don't feel like you have enough to give. I think that's a struggle we can identify with a lot. I absolutely and so, do. And something that we didn't ever really see with like Kira on Deep Space Nine, she was totally not that. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and we, I mean, not with uh, Janeway or with Crusher or with Seven. Yeah. Or... I don't necessarily think it's a, a bad thing. Like, I don't think it's a fault per se, but mm -hmm. I think after you get out of the original series where you've got, so much of just that um, weak feminine character where it is more about women as, as objects, as set pieces. Mm -hmm. um, I do think they progressed to all the women were very strong, mm -hmm. which I so appreciate. Don't fault them at all. But I think it, it proves another step towards confidence in female characters that you can show a sort of honest weakness as yes. a character arc. And that's the thing. I think, I think there's a, there's this sort of, um, I've, I've talked before in other places about this, but, um, uh, Hegel talked about this, uh, idea of synthesis, um, and that it's sort of a pendulum that swings in culture. You have a thesis, you have an idea that gains ground for a long time, and then it's the cracks sort of start to show and the pendulum swings to the antithesis. And then we get to the antithesis and the cracks sort of start to show in the antithesis. And then we tend to kind of swing into more of a synthesis. So it's thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And that synthesis is um, usually what, what happens and where we, where we move forward, where we find kind of a middle ground. And, uh, you know, we see that happen a lot in culture. And I think, I think that is happening in this conversation, like you're talking about, where you know, it's not only that we're trying to make strong women, but even that we don't even know how to. Like, I think of Tasha Yar. And mm -hmm. uh, Tasha Yar comes in in Next Generation as this, this you know, scare quotes, 
strong woman character, right? Because mm -hmm. she's the head of, she's the chief of security, right? And she's tough and she doesn't take anything from anybody, right? But why? Why is she like this? It's not because she has this sort of natural strength. It's because she's developed this forcefulness and this armor around her because she was a victim. Because she grew up in a society, you know, with apparently like roving rape gangs, you know, and she was objectified and she was abused. And so then she now is unfeminine because she you know she has the short hair and she was wearing pants most of the time uh there's one shot where she wears a skirt <laughs> but <laughs> but she's you know she's wearing the pants and she's tough and she's she's violent right even and she has all this anger and and then in in the what is it the, the second episode of the season the naked the naked now the update from the Naked Time, the original series, she when she lets loose, she's like, I want to be girly and feminine and frilly, but I can't, you know, and, and <laughs> she and, and it's like, you know, uh, you in order for in order for her to be a tough woman, in order to be a, her for her to be a scare quotes, strong woman, she has to eschew all vestiges of any kind of stereotypical femininity that we would have. She and she has to be, you know, she, it has to be the result of some trauma that she's gone through or something. And it just it's just tonally not quite there. Doesn't quite doesn't quite reach a place of like you said, of of like real. I think something that's genuine and honest, it, it just it feels manufactured and it, and it doesn't it doesn't feel tonally correct. Yeah, it's kind of a harsh interpretation of like second wave feminism, right? Mm hmm where a woman can do everything a man can do. But I think there was a lot of interpretation. Like there were some feminists that would say that, but I think there were a lot of people who wouldn't identify as feminists who were trying to hear what they said. And they heard um, basically to be, women can be as strong as men and thus they should be like men, you right. know? They should eschew all feminine characteristics because that shows weakness. Right. And a lot of women, you know, through personal experience where their femininity has been used and abused and mm -hmm. it's been told it's their fault for being feminine. I mean, that's awful. Mm -hmm. But like women have been taught that like it's their fault. Um, and so I do think there's honest women that have eschewed all femininity as a way to protect themselves. But yeah, to have a character, um, that can just be a really lazy way to express that, right? Because right. it's also really sad because femininity does not need to be a liability. Feminine doesn't show weakness and lack of traditional feminism doesn't show strength. Like that's a, a very shallow understanding of what it means to be feminine. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, as we've got to like third wave feminism and two characters like Tilly, it's it's understanding that it's a lot more varied than that, that you don't have to be a tough person and eschew things that seem quote unquote womanly because mm -hmm. it's sort of this funny um, paradox that that version of feminism and feminine, like woman's strength, right? Where to eschew femininity is what's strength, but actually like that's it's a weird kind of misogyny, right? Because yes. it's also saying that to be a woman is not good enough. Right. Um, so it's a weird self-hatred that you're teaching women to say you don't want to be a typical woman. You want to be something else. Something else would be better. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate when we've gotten away from that to say, you know, to be a woman doesn't mean you have to be frilly. But like you can like dresses and still yeah. beat someone up. I mean, <laughs> what an interesting um, study in contrasts on the bridge of the next generation enterprise, though, because in on one hand, you have Tasha Yar and on the other hand, you have Troy, who right. is Deanna Troy is, um, you know, that people talk about women in flower pots and who may as well just be potted plants in the on the side of the, the stage. 
And and I mean, so many times during the first season, Troy fell into that. And of course, later on, she would get some more meaty roles, but I don't think she ever really, I, I, I can quite categorically say that she never really rose to the level of a Tilly or a Burnham or even a Janeway or a Seven. And uh, she she never really had any any strong featured roles and, and, and was the complete opposite of Tasha Yar on that bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's interesting that, that they did have, they, they just went both directions with it. Right. And, and right. they didn't leave that middle on the next generation. So for as much as they, uh, for as much as they got right, they did sort of, um, they, they ran to the edges on that one. And I, I wonder if that just speaks volumes about where we were in the late eighties and early nineties. Well, and, you know, you talk about that spectrum. I think that's really interesting because I think there is a lot of strength to Deanna. Um, But she's also the one who, for the majority of the series, doesn't wear a regular uniform. You know, she's usually the one in an actual flowy dress, you know, a lot of times. Sometimes she's in that weird unitard thing that, you know, whatever. But (laughs) she also has that, you know, that blue dress and everything. And um, and there is a lot. there's, There's sort of more glamour about her character, even in the way she's dressed. Um, but you know, but she is the empathic person, right? Her thing is all about emotional sensitivity, no matter how strong she may be able to be, no matter how assertive she may be able to be. She also has emotional sensitivity. And, and even as I'm saying that I'm, I'm, you know, living in the time that we're living in so many categories of our vocabulary and our sense of things are, are, are being reexamined. And it's, it's. It's just part of this postmodern project, right? It's just part of this this space that we're in now, where we're just starting to stop put putting such strict categories on everything. So even when I use the word strong, I, I think that's I, I think that's not right because I think there's a strength in emotional sensitivity. Um, so it, it's it's just it's not even really easy to talk about in that way. But even when she can be assertive, you know, and and stand her ground even against the captain. Um, she is still meant to be that, you know, that very sensitive person. And that is, that is until about season five, I think it is five or six. Um, she, that is expressed in the way she dresses, but look Mm -hmm. at, I, I do think we have a middle ground in next generation and that's Beverly Crusher. I think we see Beverly Crusher, who is a professional. She's a scientist. She's, uh, she does spar with Jean-Luc frequently she calls him jean Luc. nobody else gets to do that um and she um but she's also she's a mom and she has all the concerns that a mom has for her for her son um she does she's i don't think she's in any way not feminine um i think uh next generation is a little ham-fisted in the way it presents femininity sometimes um or expresses it specifically, right? Like in some of the um, moments, even between uh, Deanna and Beverly. But Beverly, yeah. does, it, it is kind of interesting that it's almost this three-tiered thing. Of course, Tasha goes away um, after the first season. But it is kind of interesting that we have these these sort of three images. And I think maybe Beverly, Beverly is closest to the kind of woman we see in Star Trek now out of all of them who is just a person and for the most part is not, is neither at war with nor defined by what we would stereotypically refer to as femininity. And I think that tells the truth about femininity and masculinity, that they are categories that we give to modes of behavior and being, which any person, regardless of their genetic makeup, can have to varying degrees and, and, and mixtures, you know, to any, to any extent you can imagine. And so I think we're in a, we're in a time now where we're starting to, rather than forcing people to be, you know, either very masculine women or, or very masculine men or whatever we're doing, there's more openness to, people being people and opening the doors of what makes something manly, what makes something womanly, what makes something feminine, what makes something masculine, what masculinity or femininity is, um, 
and whether it matters that men always be masculine and women always be feminine. And I think actually it doesn't. And I think what matters is that people are their, their honest selves and discover that honestly. And so we end up with Adira. And, and I think probably the most telling perspective on that might be Seven, um, where we see her mm. coming to terms with what it means to be a person, to be a human. Right. And it, nowhere in the conversation, I mean, she explores to traditionally feminine traits, but nowhere in the conversation is it like you have to be a woman or you have to learn what it means to be feminine. You know, she she goes on dates with men and she learns how to sing and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But she's also, you know, we see when we see her in Picard, she's practically leading a resistance cell, which is a, a right. fairly masculine thing to do. Well, you, you get tripped up at a certain point with masculine and feminine, right? Because yes. it's cultural construct. What we as Absolutely. modern Americans say is masculine and feminine is vastly different than what a Kenyan family would say is masculine and feminine mm -hmm. or a Chinese family. Like all around the world, there's different definitions of what masculine and feminine is. And, and I mean, obviously, time. and over time. Yeah. So I think we, if you want to be wise, you have to take that into account and you can't yes. just assume that, well, I think this is what it means to be a woman or a man without understanding that that's what it means to you in this context. That's not necessarily universal truth. Do you find that in your own experience? I mean, particularly within within a Christian culture, because as I as we're talking about all of this, I keep thinking, what has Christian culture done, at least in this part of the world, to propagate this idea of what masculinity is and what femininity is? I mean, as you have traversed the Christian world, particularly articulating yourself as a as a female human have you had those same issues with understanding yourself inside or outside the norms of of what other people call femininity oh goodness yes <laughs> <laughs> i kind of thought you might have <laughs> just just lob a softball there um yeah <laughs> yeah no i've I've grown up in the church, and so um, it's been quite a long journey, honestly, as a woman um, growing up. And, you know, there's a certain point when you're a child, you grow up in a certain context, you don't think about it. Then you, like, go yes. to college and you realize, oh, other people don't think this way. Mm -hmm. Do I like the way I think? And so I think it's been a really long process of coming from, yeah, probably not super overt, but definitely the subtext of women should be in the kitchen. You know, mm -hmm. the whole barefoot, pregnant, never make money, more money than your husband. The Ferengi woman viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. But that's actually not a very old idea. It's pretty new and it's pretty American. Um, right. So yeah, I think it's it's been really tricky. And as I've grown to see that there is an American way to view men and women that I don't think is healthy and I don't think you see represented in the Bible. I think God's primary concern is that we are all made in his image. Uh, we are all his children. And he's given us ways to interact with each other and to love each other. But it's always in love. It's never about domination. It's never about control. It's never about forcing you to conform to something. Anytime God gives you a rule or commandment, it's it's for your good. It's because he designed that to be the way you function best. Mm. And so finding freedom in that, that, you know, God says I'm a woman and he loves me. And before I'm a woman, I'm just a Christian. And God has lots to say about what it means to be a Christian person mm -hmm. and how to love those and serve those around you. And he's got commandments about what it means to be in a marriage but primarily that's two people working together. So yeah, through through a lot of studying of the Bible, through a lot of examples of other mature Christian women, I've come to see a freedom. Whereas I think before you saw a lot of restrictions, a lot of limitations, like there's one box that you should fit in. But I've come to learn that uh, that's not true. God created me to be unique 
and he's showing me all these beautiful ways that I can fulfill his vision for me. And that doesn't have to look like a lot of these pictures you see painted, particularly in the church. And that interests me as you say that I'm, I'm just, I'm just mulling over these things in my head, these different women that we've just sort of glanced off of as we've been talking. And there are of course, countless women we can, we can talk about in Star Trek, but it's, I, I think it would be a mistake to take any one person, um, any one female person in Star Trek as sort of Star Trek's image of femaleness or femininity. And I think it's actually a beautiful thing that you have over a course of time and from a variety of writers and actors and directors, you have different images of being a woman within this Star Trek context of these things that we talk about, about the nobility of humankind, about um, our, our desire to search and explore and to improve ourselves, about the equality that we all have with one another, um, about the, the seeking um, unity and, um, and cooperation. And we see a variety of different women from Ro Laren um, to, to, to Eve from Mud's Women, for goodness sakes. Um, which is one of those really, really bad examples <laughs> that I talk about. There's such a spectrum. And that spectrum of characters doesn't just present a number of different women to be identified with, but it also, you know, we talk about, you know, future women's history, right? Or women's future history. Um, there's a history of how women's future has been presented across Star Trek and there's a lot of different ways that that's happened. And I think we see that, you know, as culture has moved and changed, so those images have moved and changed. But I think it's cool that there are a lot of different images to be drawn to and to think about and to contemplate. And maybe that's maybe that's a, a helpful thing in, in the Star Trek uh, world. Well, Absolutely. There can't be a monolith of like, this is the perfect ideal woman, because that's right. just not true. We all serve different parts in different roles. And so it's good that we have different personalities and different gifts. And it's, yeah, it's great that Star Trek provides such a wide range of admirable female characters. Mm, to look at. That's important. That's important. That they are actually admirable people and noble people and people who are, are doing good things. Yeah, that's good. That's true. That's beautiful. And as we say all the time on this show, all goodness is God's goodness. All truth is God's truth and all beauty is God's beauty. All right. So normally at the end of the show, we do an audience question. And I think, uh, I think I want to, you know, give a little twist on it this, this week. And, uh, Natalie had a question that she wanted to ask, um, uh, the two of us fellas. So go for it, Natalie. I do. I know that you guys are, are, are Trekkies, and so you love Trek, and it's been very foundational to you. And so I'm just really wondering, can you tell me how the female role models you've seen in Trek have formed your ideas of what women should be in the world today? I'll let you start, David. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, so I obviously, uh, maybe not so obviously, I have been watching Star Trek since I was very young. Uh, it's one of the earliest things that I can remember doing, uh, mm -hmm. starting off with, uh, I, I'm told I started with Next Generation. Uh, I first remember mm -hmm. watching Deep Space Nine, um, but my, my real like conscious memory of a Star Trek series is Voyager, which I think does greatly affect um, a lot of how I interact with, uh, with women in, in media, with women in real life, um, because my, my first real interaction with a person, a woman in any sort of, um, position of leadership was Janeway. And, and that gives mm -hmm. such a, um, such a very specific experience, um, to the point where, you know, I, um, I don't find it bizarre at all for a woman to be, uh, the vice president of the United States right now, or, uh, for a woman to be a leader in a, in a company or, um, 
uh, or for or to have a really um, strong and um, and and worthwhile relationship with my wife that that is based upon mutual trust and understanding, and um, I think all of that goes back to seeing uh, seeing that represented on the screen, um, and and not just in Trek. I mean, also you know you've got Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia in Star Wars, being you know sort of in in command almost of the rebellion, and uh, and and there there are, I'm sure other examples as well, but just uh, having the like like Natalie's been talking about having this uh this expectation that that uh you know women are just people that mm-hmm. that happen to be women in uh and and having that in Star Trek uh really did uh I think direct the way that I um feel about and relate to women in general um I I've been a little bit shell-shocked over the past couple of months by uh, I read um, the, the really spectacular book Jesus. Je- I read the the really spectacular book um, Jesus and John Wayne oh, uh, by Kristen yeah. Cobus Dumay. Yeah, it is. Um, it will it, it will knock your socks off. But uh, just seeing how much of well, I mean, it was already mentioned this too. How much of what modern masculinity and femininity was uh, or it has been just invented wholesale out of out of whole cloth over the past 80 years or so in in the United States and um and I think that the the um the antithesis to that isn't Star Trek in particular but I think Star Trek is a very good example of that where it is showing a a viewpoint of men and women working together in a way that is not transactional, it's not manipulative, it's not, uh, it's not a, uh, a sort of a weird power dynamic. Power dynamic. Um, it's showing men and women, you know, in a utopian society, the way that they got to this part of the way that they got to this utopian society was to just be people around each other. And I think that that was a really formative thing, uh, showing me how to interact with others. Uh, was just seeing how men and women interacted on Star Trek and how it was really just sort of understood you know it didn't it didn't change a whole lot about um, about the way that Chakotay interacted with Janeway versus the way that he interacted with Tom Paris um, except for the fact that one was his superior and one was his subordinate but just like there there was no there was no um there was no weirdness about her being a woman. It was it was all just the fact that she was a person and a captain. Yeah, I would I would concur with that. You know, I grew up. Um, I didn't I didn't start watching Star Trek really until Next Generation came out, and I was uh, eight by then, I guess, and uh, and eight or nine, and I. Uh, but I grew up in, you know, we talked about developing our senses of, of masculinity and femininity within a Christian context. I grew up originally when I was very young in an Assemblies of God church, a little church, where, you know, my mom would sometimes play the piano, my grandmother would lead the singing, and my great aunt was the pastor. Um, it was just almost entirely led by women. I mean, the men would have some role, maybe, you know, uh, passing out communion or taking up the offering, you know, something like that. Um, Hmm. But the women were really in charge of the church. And it just wasn't anything I ever, wasn't anything I ever questioned or worried about or thought about. It just was what it was. And it wasn't until many years later that I was like, oh, people think this is weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, and so I don't know that I have very much relied on Star Trek to define or shape my view of of being a woman necessarily. Um, but I I have seen it as a as a touchstone for a lot of things about human relationships. And that that you that you've both touched on, you you've both talked about that you know, humans are just humans on Star Trek and are 
not as rarely as I'd like, but rarely defined uh, a, a sort of um, obtrusively by their maleness or their femaleness or their masculinity or their femininity. Um, and I have been increasingly, uh, increasingly happy with the way uh, women exist in Star Trek because it's come closer and closer to the ideal that I have and I feel like I've had forever, but maybe I have, maybe I haven't, I don't know. But just the, that, that ideal that, that being a man, being a woman isn't what matters nearly as much as being a human, you know, being a Starfleet officer or being, or being a, a, a member of a church, whatever it may be, um, being the person who has a, being a captain, right? Being a pastor. Mm. It's just, it's a job that you do because you're good at it and because you're called to it. And that's what matters. Um, and, and nothing else really enters into it. So, um, I feel like it's an ideal I've, I've had, I don't recall having to overcome hurdles about that necessarily. I think I have always struggled with the definitions of masculinity and femininity that exist in our culture because I don't fit the masculine ideal myself in many, many ways. And that can make me as a, as a, as a man feel lesser. Um, and so I have had that in my experience and in my existence, but I don't think I've ever had to get over the hurdle of saying I've, I've had to, I've had to get over the hurdle of getting over some of that programming. Yes. And I think Star Trek has helped me do that. Yes. Um, I don't know that I can point to a specific character or a specific moment or a specific influence from Star Trek that has done that. I just feel like it's it's a it's a culture that you exist in. It's a world that you're plunged into and things just are the way they are. And I, sometimes I think that's more powerful than talking about things, you know, on the face of them, you know, talking about things very specifically. Sometimes I think the best forms of inclusion in media are, are where nobody talks about the inclusion. People are just included. You know, mm -hmm. Uhura just shows up on the bridge and can, you know, lean on the arm in the captain's chair and flirt with Spock if she wants to. You know, th that's just that's just there, right? She can sing if she wants to. She can go on away missions. You know, whatever she needs to do, she can do. And she's just there. And it's a big deal that she's a black woman on screen, but there's no big deal made of it ever. She's just there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I think that's, I think that's the, the, the most powerful way to do it. The most important way to do it. Um, and I think the more we can emulate that, um, in the rest of the world and particularly in the Christian world, I think the better off we'll be. Did that answer your question, Natalie? Absolutely. Thank you. Hurrah. I'm so glad. I've never been able to ask the person who asked the question if we answered their question <laughs> well. <laughs> so that's great. Well, cool. Well, Natalie, uh, I really appreciate you being here. That's fantastic. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for letting me uh, sneak in. David, you know, hey, you know, you too. I mean, no. It's... Thanks. <laughs> no, no, it's, I it's... understand. I understand you're you're going to have a favorite at will from here on out. I, <laughs> I totally get it that I'm going to be less in demand from this point forward. I get it. Sorry. <laughs> at least we share the same favorite at will. No, um, the, uh, <laughs> um, that, that's 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 discounting your kids. So never mind that. Um, but yeah, no, no. I appreciate you both being here very much. This is great, um, and uh, I, I I think it's a good kickoff to to this series so uh next week is gonna be uh i'm not sure exactly to be quite honest with you um but we're definitely going to be continuing this conversation and i'm really excited about it and i hope you'll enjoy it in the meantime please like share comment rate and subscribe and also be sure to send us your questions gospel according to star trek on twitter or on facebook or gospeltrekpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to discuss your question on the show. 
So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I'm Kevin C. Nees. My guest hosts have been David Atwell and Natalie Atwell. And as Jesus said in John 10.10, live long and prosper. See you next time.